This is Rugger Matrix International, episode 165, The Back Page. This week on the world's most quoted rugby podcast, Waratah's coach Michael Checker and the assignment, bringing back the running game. No one wants to win more than me, trust me, right? But, you know, we're obviously doing that while we're trying to do the other thing at the same time, and that's that's the way it is. Our studio guest, Ian Payton, head rugby writer for the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. It is a bit of a sad state of affairs, and hopefully, you know, with Michael Checker coming in and the changes he's trying to make to the joint, that, that A, victories will return, and B, the fans will follow the victories. As always, Rugger Matrix International, brought to you by Strike, Australia's leading provider of Bluetooth car kits. Go to strike.com.au, enter the code RUGGERMATRIX, and you'll get 10% off. Hello and welcome to the program, episode 165 of Rugger Matrix International. No Mark Cashman, and thank God for that, I don't know where he is. <laughs> this is the world's longest build-up to a match program, but look who I've got here. The great Ian Payton from the Daily Telegraph. G'day Bronk, how Hello. are you mate? Four years in the making for getting you in here, and I couldn't stand the whinging any longer. <laughs> the, two, the two words I've got for you, outrage and disgrace. <laughs> disgrace. What, what show are we up to? Oh, 165. Yeah. It's been yeah. 164 shows yeah. Just answer without me on it. Answer my call, mate. No, you block. Block. <laughs> Through to the keeper. All right, mate. Well, thanks for coming in. Great yeah, no show. Worries, mate. Great show. I guess you've got a lot to say um, over the last four years to build up. Mm. Towards this moment, don't put that pressure on. <laughs> but uh, just to throw forward, we'll have um, uh, an interview with a couple of Tars coming up very shortly. Uh, we'll talk about Six Nations after the break. But first of all, let's talk Super Rugby with Ian Payton. Now uh, you are the guru with the uh, Daily Telegraph. Uh, the Telegraph is a rugby league paper, mm. so it is a struggle. But um, uh, what are you uh, thinking at the moment about where the Waratahs are at the moment? This is the market we're in. Mm. Uh, and I, I really liked your piece today uh, as we record this program. And it showed that uh, even though the Waratahs are losing, the fans are accepting it. And mm. uh, it's a real change from, well, let's face it, uh, five years ago. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, mate, change uh, comes in all places. Uh, you refer to the Telegraph, we've been trying our, our best to uh, to improve the rugby coverage in, in the Telegraph, and I reckon we're doing a decent job at that. But, um, mate, uh, you were probably there the other night. It was 12,000, it's a quarter full. Um, it's just a long way away from those halcyon days when there was, I think it was 2005, the Waratahs averaged 34,000 per game mm. uh, at long the footy way. stadium. And, and um, yeah, most of those included lot, uh, wins. Uh, I think Link took him to the, the grand final that year, didn't he? So, Second year in the job, took yeah. him to the final. You know, you, you turn up to Moore Park now and the Waratahs, you're just desperate to see a try or two and, and the crowd are, you know, the, the crowd are sort of just desperate to see a victory at this stage. Mm. Um, it is a bit of a sad state of affairs and hopefully, you know, with Michael Checker coming in and the changes he's trying to make to the joint that, that A, the victories will return, and B, the fans will follow the victories. I don't know. It's um, Sydney loves a winner, so maybe you know, if there's victories, they'll come back. I don't know. I reckon we're down to sort of bedrock support now. We're sort of, you want to know how many true blue Waratahs fans there are in town? There's about you know eleven or twelve thousand. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's it's a they're an interesting supporter base the Waratahs because. They've always been a polite crowd, mm. and they've never really engaged that uh, that type of uh, passion that you see in in rugby league. The Reds have got it now. Yeah, yeah. The Reds have yeah. got that uh, 
really uh, passionate, uh, loud, boisterous mm. sort of mm. support. But the Waratahs are a bit more reserved. Uh, they do like applauding both teams. And yep. there's, a, you know, there's a good thing about that. That's a, that's a good way to be. But I, I think um, there's probably a need to get that uh, the ground swell of support to be a bit more um, behind the so- side. Mm. But well, the other, I mean, the other thing is, is that I reckon two or three years ago mm. they did find their voice. It just wasn't the voice that the Waratahs yeah. wanted. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, you know, they lost to the Cheetahs again last weekend. Yeah. Two years ago they lost to the Cheetahs yeah. at home, and that, that was the first night I've ever heard, you know, the a booing. whole stadium yeah. boo their own team yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I was it, critical of the side, the crowd that night because yeah. because they never cheered the team. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, what right do you have to boo the team? Like, come on, fair go. I think it was pent-up frustration, yeah. mate. I mean, yeah. you, you've been around the Waratahs for a long time. I've followed them and reported on them. And I wrote at the time, Waratahs fans have been walking out of that stadium sort of half-satisfied yeah. for a decade. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it was often... The Waratahs' trademark win is one that just gets the job done. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, or used to be <laughs> anyway. But um, I think I think that team suffered for you know, the sins of the past, basically. Yeah. But getting back to the point... Since then, I think the Waratahs fans have found their voice a little bit, but it's, as I say, the, the other side. They're, not, they're now willing to express their displeasure, yeah, um, yeah. probably more than their pleasure, which isn't a good situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have been covering the game for a while and you've got that great uh, um, suburban rugby background as well. What's your club? Old Iggy's, mate. Uh, Old Ignatius. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How are they going? Yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're very good. Powerhouse. A powerhouse yeah. of suburban rugby. Uh, and, and, you know... It might surprise people out there that, that to know that uh, the suburban rugby competition in Sydney is the biggest comp in the world. Mm. And uh, so we've got this really great base of rugby. Yep. But just at the pointy end, we're just falling off the tree a bit. Mm. I think it, you know, a lot of people have, have accused professional rugby from losing contact mm. with that um, grassroots level and club rugby. Um, yeah, mm. it definitely has. I think the problem being is that you know, the Waratahs players or... you know. Yeah, well, the Waratahs players had been cocooned as a professional outfit mm. and they very rarely went back to club rugby. And I think that's changed a little bit in recent times. And I know that guys like Nick Farr Jones and Tim Gavin, who are now pulling the strings at New South Wales rugby, um, obviously the Waratahs rugby and New South Wales rugby are mm. now detached. So the Waratahs rugby is the professional arm and yeah. New South Wales rugby looks after the community arm. Um, the community arm is 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 getting a lot more attention and guys like, as I say, Nick Farr, James, Tim Gavin, they're making a really big effort to try and reconnect with that community level. Um, I think Michael Check will be good for that as well yeah. because he has said that he wants to return, you know, playing for New South Wales to be something that you play for your club and you aspire to play for New South Wales yeah. and if you play well enough, there's a pathway for you. So, And you've seen that already with guys like Ben Volavola and and... Ollie Atkins and these guys. The first Peter thing Beetham. Checker did, Peter Beath, and yeah. first thing Checker did was provide that pathway for them. So yeah. hopefully that'll improve. It isn't you, because Ewan did this. The first thing that Ewan McKenzie did when he came back to coach New South Wales was identify that the club land hated mm. the Waratahs. Yeah. They hated them. And the reason they hated them is that there was no contact. Mm. Now, so he went back and engaged the club coaches as well. Now that probably fell away a bit. Mm. And uh, it was strange because he had such a great uh, club man in, in Chris Hickey taking mm. over mm. and then Michael Foley. Uh, I know not every player wants to go and play for the club team mm. once mm. they're in this setup because they figure, you know, why should I do that? I've, I'm getting paid to train and play for the Waratahs. Mm. So I think this is a greater issue that, that you could flesh out for hours. But um, 
I know everyone starts with good intentions, but mm. and ultimately they're getting paid to play for the Waratahs, mm. and that's that's where it all stops. Yeah, you're right, and <clears throat> absolutely right. We can get started on the health of yeah. club rugby in Sydney, and and they're all basically going broke apart from yeah. a handful of them. Yeah. yeah, my personal viewpoint is once you've been paid to play for the Waratahs, yeah. you don't get paid to play rugby exactly. anywhere else. Sure. You know, so but as you say, we can go down that path. But look. Michael Checker is a is a bloke who who cut his teeth at club rugby level. Yeah. Um, Just down the road here, mate. At Randwick, of course. Yeah. You don't want to pump his tyres too much, but it, look, he's, he has said that he wants to reconnect with that club level, mm. and he's a pretty down to earth sort of character. You yeah, know, straight shooter. Straight shooter. Yeah. Yeah, take him at word. Take him yeah. at his word at this stage that if he's going to attempt to do that, then then hopefully that's going to happen. And club rugby is crying out for it. They want to reconnect. Mm. They want. Essentially, they want New South Wales to become a representative team again, not a, a, a rival club, if you like. You know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, I think Czech is doing a, a great job to try and change the culture, but change, this is hard change. And mm. I think there's even more upheaval happening here. Ewan had a really good uh, when he coached the Waratahs. He had a really good forward pack, and that was a constant all the way through. And he's mm. always said, well, the pragmatic way was to always use your forwards. Mm. If you got a great test pack, mm. you got to use it. Um, but what Waratahs have never really had, and I think 08 was the exception, and you guys have seen me harp on it with, with Curly Beal. Mm. Went all the way through 08 and got injured in the final. He was doing so well. We haven't had a 10 mm. to nail our colours to the mast. And sorry for saying ours, but uh, you know it's just down the road. Uh, and that's the big issue. The 9-10 hasn't been solved. Mm. Look down the road at the Brumbies. When they had a great 9 and 10, they were unstoppable. And they're building a, a couple of 9s and 10s mm. down there that are really good. Look, take a look at what Melbourne's got mm. right now, because that might be the Waratahs nine and ten next year. Yeah. Obviously, Nick Phipps is signed, and you know we're told that the Curtly Beal deal is to come back to yeah. New South Wales is pretty advanced um, yeah. on the negotiations. Pardon me. Mm. Um, getting Beal back may be that answer mm. um, this year, which is what you should be focusing on. Bernard Foley um, is the guy that they're throwing their faith in, and. I heard um, Alan Gaffney's interview with you mm. saying that they're going to give him that time. I think that's a good thing because he does need time in the role. He's growing in it. Uh, I've, you know, he does go missing at times, mm. Bernard. He doesn't take the game by the scruff of the neck. You want a 10 who gets the ball in his hand after every ruck and yeah. you know, if another playmaker's not got it. But he's getting there. The other night against the Cheetahs, again, you're loath to try and find too many positives in a loss. But he really tried to step up and take the ball more and take it more to the line, which is his skill. So, um, look, if the Beal thing doesn't happen, then Bernard Foley, I think, is an incredibly skillful footballer that, you know, whether they're winning games or losing games, they need to keep him in that 10 shirt and just, you know, build confidence in him to, to run a game, I guess. What do you think of the Cheetahs? I'm a big fan of the Cheetahs. Um, yeah. And they play an interesting brand of rugby. And, you know, they've got some big Springbok uh, forwards running the show mm. there. Uh, and yet they're very exciting out wide when they play. But some of the best tries I've seen this season were scored the other night in, mm. in uh, you know, tough conditions. They play a pretty simple brand of footy. It's a little bit like the Brumbies. You mm. know, you can be deceived by the amount of tries they're scoring or whatever, but it's, they, pl they play the fundamentals and do them well. There's some big boys in that forward pack, and they, yeah. they really put some shots on the Warriors. But everyone knows the game. Well, they know what you're doing. And that, I think in the end they had it worked out that by the end of the game they had forty percent possession. Yeah. You know, it's 
It's what you do with it when exactly, the opposition stuff up. I hate it when coaches say you can't win with less than 50% yeah. of possession. That's bull crap. No. And in fact, oftentimes teams win with less possession. It's now, yeah. it's now uh, you know, it can't, it's to your detriment to have yeah. too much ball, yeah. you know. So, um, you know, they, they have, they've obviously given guys like um, Willy Raru mm. uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Sorrell, yeah. just do what you want, mate. You know, like on counter-attack or if they kick it to you, have a crack at them, you know, and they're very skillful players. I'm surprised that more of them haven't actually cracked it into the, yeah. the spring box. I know um, Goose and the 5'8 yeah. did, but um, look, it's a successful formula. It's sort of do your basics right, contain the other team, and then if they make mistakes, see what you can do with it, yeah. you know. Um, it's sort of something that, you know, quite, I think Queensland did that very well when they won the title, didn't they? That, that, the, the points that they score were when the other team had stuffed it up and there was a fractured defensive line. Yeah, and that relies on Quade Cooper playing well. Mm. Wasn't that good at the no. weekend? And um, Queensland, I think, have got a bumpy road ahead unless they smooth things out. I know they've had some injuries. Well, Genia first game back. Mm. But unless uh, Quade, um, Quade lifts to the levels of 2011, mm. um, what do you think, mate? What are their chances? He's a big confidence player. Yeah. Um, I think he's yeah the, the ultimate front foot. Footballer, basically, isn't he? Um, and I think that probably, despite the fact that their their back row is is doing outstanding sort of work, I think they're really missing the grunt um, mm. that they had in 2011. You know, Hall's not there. Yeah. Um, Van Humphreys, Higginbotham, and, he, and his blue language isn't there. <laughs> Higginbotham's not there. Yeah. The front row, which those young guys, which looked incredibly promising, um, are sort of just getting parity rather than dominating. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, all of that translates into how much front fo- front football they're getting. Um, Genner and Cooper, you know, together are a very dangerous combination. And I think, you know, one complements the other. If if Quade's doing stuff that the opposition's worried about, that allows Genner to make some yards, and vice versa. If they're worried about Genner hmm. in that tight channel, then you know Cooper can make some yards as well. The one thing I do know about you and Mackenzie is you won't panic. You know, there's a mm. long way to go in the competition and a couple of five-point wins will turn things around. Mm. And the, all they have to make sure they do is break away from the other teams in the Australian Conference yeah. because uh, the Brumbies are way out. Well, they've just got to keep... They've just got to stay in, yeah. inside of the Brumbies as they did yeah. last year, you know. As you mentioned earlier, Ewan's the ultimate pragmatist. <laughs> he just he just does what needs to be done to get a result, mm. you know. And he'll continue doing that. And if they start, you know, if you only build into form in the second half of the year, Fine, as long as you're in form when you hit the finals, and beauty, you know, that's the way the Crusaders used to do it. They were usually awful at the start of the year. Yeah. Still are. Well, still are. Well, they got a good win over the Bulls of the weekend. Mm. Bit of talk going around the traps about uh, Jake White becoming the next Wallaby coach. What are you hearing? No, there's nothing uh, official. I think, you know, the talk about a, next, a new Wallaby coach is only probably going to start if Robbie Deans loses to the Lions, and then it'll start in earnest. Mm. Um, I think there'd be a bit of a hue and cry if Ewan wasn't basically number one choice and given the option. You yeah. know, the only way I can really see Ewan not being the guy is if he doesn't elect to take it for whatever yeah. reason. Um, in terms of Jake White, I, I think if Jake White's going to be the next Wallabies coach, then he has to come as a package deal. He has yeah. to. It has to be Laurie Fisher, Stephen Larkham, and Jake White. You know, <laughs> like Jake White is is you know the Brumby success. He's definitely got to do with a lot of what Jake White has brought to the club, but I'm an enormous rap on Laurie Fisher as a yeah. forwards coach. He's the, he's the best in the business. Um, and Stephen Larkham's really 
finding his feet as a as a coach. Yeah. If they, you know, look at the Brumbies backs of the weekend; they were fantastic. So, um, if those three guys were to come as a package deal, then great. Um, <laughs> even if Ewan was going to take the job, yeah, you know, I'd implore him to go and get Laurie Fisher and Stephen Larkham and see if they wanted a job as well because it has to be their team, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you need. It's a bit because what we've done the last few years is Robbie's come in and then he's sort of had. Uh, the Australian appointments mm. and they've made it sort of work. It, you know, yeah, the, the head coach has got to come in with his team. But I don't. I think the head coach has to be also a Graham Henry style head coach, mm. where he got Steve Hansen and Wayne Smith, yeah. who are two of the best coaches in New Zealand, and came. There's no ego. Probably, there probably was egos, yeah. but I think what Robbie's done, and it was interesting that Richie McCaw accused him of it in his <laughs> book, surrounds himself with yes men. Mm. You know, and you're never going to get results if. Um, no, you're never you, being challenged, yeah. you know. Well, you're sort of living in fear of someone taking a job. Ewan made a good point that he, when he went to Queensland, selected two guys below him, a couple mm. of guys below him, who, who weren't interested in taking his job. Yeah, right. And, uh, and as a result, they concentrated on their job. That's okay. what Laurie Fisher's doing. Yeah, That's yeah. what uh, Stephen Larkin's doing. Mm. I know that Larkin's been groomed to take over at mm. some point, mm. maybe in a couple of years' time. So he's not ready as a head coach yet. Um, but... Uh, because he'd probably forget his uh, mm. pads and pencils and stuff because he's a bit like that, Larkham. Uh, he's the genius. Well, if you're going to throw your, your faith in guys who are you know, unknowns, if you like, mm. they've got to be. They've got to know their stuff. Yeah. Um, that you know, those Matt Taylor and, and, and some of other Ewan's assistants yeah. were, were top minds, you know, and Ewan was smart enough to delegate and trust them to, mm. to take control of the team. So um, I think... Some, some people like to surround themselves, and not necessarily pointing the finger at Robbie Deans, but some coaches like to surround themselves with guys who, um, you know, are basically good blokes, yep. you know. They yep. bring a lot to the, you know, not, not at the coach and say that's a good idea. And yeah. um, when, the, when the, you know, the excrement hit the fan, then um, <laughs> these aren't the guys that are going to get you out of it. No, certainly not. Well, Pato, stay here for a second. We'll take a break. Uh, before we go to the break, uh, let's check out the Waratahs, uh, the players themselves, and we're fortunate enough to attend one of the media sessions and catch up with a few of the guys at HQ at Moore Park. Check, um, mate, uh, you made some changes last week. What are we looking towards uh, this game? Yeah, I just keep pushing the, uh, trying to push the level up, the standard up of our play, and more consistent. And I think that will be key to everyone maybe getting their you know knowing their roles a little bit better making sure that their their detail in their game is right there because that's that's ultra important and probably the detail in, in the individual's game may have cost us on the weekend at the end of the day on that side of the coin that can happen but when the, the individual performs his role to its utmost and best there's, there's a good chance we're going to win most games so that's that's the battle for us at the moment the new new project with getting guys to play uh, in a different way with new roles and making sure that everyone's very clear about them. The cheaters, uh, they can smoke you because they've got pace and they've got skill, but what pleased you about last week's game? Uh, was there anything at all that you took out of it that you want to push forward with this new plan you've got for the team? Yeah, I think there's plenty that I can take out of it, but at the end of the day, very, I have to keep that stuff to myself, really. I don't think you can go out sprouting all the positives after you lose, you know? You've got to keep that inside of you and deliver it to your team. I think um, our fans know that what we're doing, I think they can see it and, and that we're trying hard. We've got to try a little bit harder to be a little bit better. And, you know, not, I'm not, I know where we're at. I know how, 
how we've got to improve. So I don't want to go out there and try and, you know, sprout out the positives so I can feel good, you know. I want to win at the same time too. So trying to balance those two things happening is real, really a, a test and it's, uh, it's a good challenge and I'm enjoying it a lot, you know. You said um, there was obviously disappointment after the loss on Friday night from your point of view. Uh, have you had time to, I guess, the weekend to recover and be, feel a bit reinvigorate, reinvigorated this week with the nine-day turnaround? Yeah, well, I think it, even if it's a two-day turnaround, you're always lucky about rugby. You've got the next game to get back out there and get into it. So, And it's great Sunday afternoon here at the footy stadium. Like, I've really enjoyed the games I've had here as a coach. Uh, the crowd, you know, I heard a lot about crowd before I came. And I felt the crowd are quite, quite into it. I think they're on the roller coaster with us a little bit at the moment, and they're giving us the support when we need it. And, um, and you know, we're going to do our best to, to make them proud of us again on Sunday. The Blues will bring it too, won't they? they? They're in good form this year. So John Kerwin is bringing a nice style, a bit more discipline to them. What are you expecting? If it's going to be a nice Sunday afternoon, we could have one hell of a contest. Well, hopefully most of that hell is coming from us as opposed to the opposition, but they have got some players who can play, you know. So you've got to be so well drilled in relation to um, doing your role within the team and doing it really, really well and making sure that you're trusting your teammate to get everything done exactly right. So that guys like Rene Ranger or Pia Tau, uh, the big back rower they've got is a great ball runner. Like that they're not getting the space to ply their trades. If they do, we'll be chasing some shadows. We saw last week uh, Drew Mitchell obviously got dropped for reasons, I guess, maybe off, off the paddock. No, no, there's no reasons off the paddock. He just got, I'm assessing players uh, around their whole, the whole lifestyle that they bring around rugby, you know? So, like, he didn't, there's no particular reason. It was, a, it was an overall thing. He's talked to, we've talked about it. I, I want to have Drew Mitchell in the team more than anyone. But I want him in the team playing his best, where he can be like one of the best wingers in the world. That's what I want. Bob Dwyer, I think on the weekend, said that he felt it was time for, I guess, you to make some changes. Um, you know, obviously everyone likes to have their opinion when they're not in, in, you know, in the fold. Do you feel like it, it's gotten to that point, you know, one from four, do you need to start making really big changes? We saw six last week. Oh, I just need to keep doing what we're doing, working hard towards the cause. Bob knows better than anyone that to make change, you need you need to rattle up, r rustle the tree a little bit, see what falls down, go through the pain and get the scars like, and, and build on top of that. And I'm very clear on that. And I know some people might be impatient about it, but that's life. You know, we're going to, we're working at 100% maximum to do what we got to do to, um, to deliver the, the identity that we want to have around the way we play the game and in turn the results as well and the overall feel that people have when they come to watch our team play and anyone that uh, is impatient about that like I'm really sorry but that's life you know that's the way it's got to go down. Eddie Jones didn't mind when a player blew up when they dropped and got pretty aggro I mean what, what, what response do you want from a player? Yeah I want that you know that's what I want I want guys to care about playing more than anything so care when they're not playing and care when they are playing it's easy. Is that what you found when you came in this year, that players weren't, I guess, necessarily caring about, you know, their performance and the team and the franchise and the culture around here? I think that we've got to care more, yeah, I do. I think we've got to care more. I've told that to the guys, so I don't think that there's any, there's any uh, big secret there. And um, maybe they haven't been in a space where that's the priority. 
caring and making sure that we're doing our best and that's a big read every every day at training that intensity and that's a big readjustment for, for some people you know who and hopefully everyone will readjust well, that's that's what I'd like to see happen so we're working hard on our leadership on our on our performance like our, our training performance every day every day good standards no make the sacrifices we need to and I know that everyone wants to win no one wants to win more than me trust me right but you know we're obviously doing that while we're trying to do the other thing at the same time and that's just the way it is you can't blink you know if you blink every time someone says something or panic then you're only going to end up like we've ended up here before a thousand times it's time to make a stand and, and, and uh, you know just stick at what we're doing because we believe in it and we really do what sort of response have you had from supporters and, and members? Are they sticking with your program? Are they offering advice to you every moment? Oh, you get the odd <laughs> advice every now and then. I'm sure I've well, had well, positive advice. Look, I, all I can go off is what you know what I hear in the crowd when I'm here. You know, and uh, like I think the what we show in our intent every time we go out there, it's not always going to be perfect. You know, but. Um, and, and I know it's not perfect and we've got a long way to go, but you've got to drive that point home and, and make sure that, you know, you are actually doing it. And then what happens with the people around you is the consequence of that. They're not just going to do it because they feel like doing it. You know, I think we've got the people who have been here in the crowd for the games have given us great support, you know, and they're right on the roller coaster with us, you know, in the two games we've played at home. And sometimes that's, that's the part of the journey, you know. Hate losing, love winning. And what did you make of your McKenzie's um, resignation from the Reds? What... Well, you informed me, so this is the first I've heard of it now. So, you know, I said to the, to the journos before that um, I think uh, that's a guy with the quality he's got. He's been successful with New South Wales, he's been successful with Queensland. He, I, they were telling me he might be linked with the Irish job. He's a guy we can't lose from Australian rugby. Rugger Matrix is proudly brought to you by the good rugby folk at strike.com.au. Go there and you'll get 10% off your next reversing camera, Bluetooth car kit or other accessory. It's all about safe driving, no texting while driving. That's what Bronco and Casho say. So visit strike.com.au, enter the code Rugger Matrix and you'll get 10% off. All right, welcome back, and don't forget to get your strike kit from strike.com.au. I hope you drive hands-free. I do. I've got a Bluetooth, though. Okay. So yeah. we'll if, you want you to fi- if you want to fix me yeah. up, I'm happy to use it. Chris from Strike, the sword Pato out. He's got some power there down at News Limited. <laughs> oh, <I don't> <laughs> um, so let's uh, talk about the Lions series coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, firstly, I know that um, you know, rugby league rules the roost, but you're doing a good job, on, uh, and I think it's a great idea that you... Uh, branded at rugby gold as well yep. you know it was an important thing to do wasn't it do you have yeah, some was, input in that it, it was before the world cup and yeah. you know we had a change of you know, it's like anything we had different bosses have different priorities yeah. um we had a change of um editorial policy and it was decided that rugby was um you know a, a, a strong market that we needed yeah. to get into more so um yeah that was that was we launched the rugby gold website of course and it's been it's been pretty good. Um, we're getting we're getting a lot of um, a lot of loyal readers yep. like yourself. But yeah, so it's uh, I've been telling work particularly that that um, the Lions tour is you know, definitely going to be a an event of World Cup status. You know, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, well, in many ways, thousand screaming poms coming to town or Welshmen and 
Well, anyway, in many ways it's bigger because it's one team against another team. Yeah, that's Whereas right. Whereas the World Cup sort of splits up and you don't have everyone sort of focused on those two yeah, sides. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what do you think has to happen for Australia to win this series? Because I, I think we're, there's a state of flux about our team at the moment. Yeah. I don't think we've developed a clear 15. It's always been a bit of a beef of mine, Pato, that uh, we haven't been able to define this, this 15. And... Mm. Uh, um, there's a number of positions that don't sort of haven't settled on. We haven't settled on a ten now. And well, we went through this, you know, four-year yeah. waiting period, didn't we? Basically, when Robbie Deans came in, it was kind of like, trust me, guys, I'm building, and every loss was well, we learnt from that, and yeah. so on and so forth. And the payday was the World Cup, yeah, and it didn't come. That's right. Um, so Robbie lost a fair bit of, um, you know, patience and and you know lost a bit of his aura, to be honest, mm. as a coach. Um, Last year was a bit of a you know, treading water sort of season. There were a lot of injuries and so forth. So you're right. This year's a, a big you know, question mark over what the best team is. Um, you, know, you, you can't go back to the team that he had in 2011 and, and throw faith in those guys. A lot of them are out of form or injured. Or The curious part at the moment um, is that the, the, you know, if you're going to pick the, the form team of Australian players, a lot of them wouldn't have been in the team last year. You know, mm. Half of them would be Brumbies. Um, you know, a lot of the Waratahs are in there, you'd, yeah. you'd chuck out. Um, so Robbie's talking about the fact that he doesn't want to throw in green kids against the might of the Lions. But look, that's the big question. Do you go for guys in form or do you go for guys who've played for the Wallabies before who might not be in form and, and hope they get into form? So I don't it's know. Tough, I, th- I, I, I think that he'd be sweating bullets at the moment, th- hoping that some of these experienced guys find some form and then he can inject some of these youngsters alongside them. That's, that's maybe his best case scenario. I think a selection must, and they have to do this, is get George Smith playing for the team. Oh, thousand percent agree. Absolutely. And, uh, and so I'm really, what, what I'm really a happen? bit annoyed by the talk about it's not going to happen, he's not eligible, this, that and the other. Please. Like, look, the basic version of it is, is that he's on a contract until June 1 on a, on a short-term contract and then he becomes a Suntory player again. He's back onto his contract. Now, I spoke to Eddie Jones soon after George came back, who said not only would he walk back in the Wallabies, mm. but Suntory would be agreeable to extending his contract for 30 days or whatever to play for the Lions again. You know, as you know, George is a very, uh, Eddie is a very um, yeah. influential man at Suntory. So there's a green light. Yeah. You know, go chase it. And So this whole thing about getting in the play is ridiculous. We could get him. Yes, of course they yeah. could. Of course they could. But Robbie is probably in this position where he doesn't want to dissuade, yeah. you know, put the dampeners on Liam Gill and Michael Hooper. Yeah. And, but now with Pocock gone, look, as good a player as Hooper and Gill both are, they still can't tie George, George Smith bootlaces. Best Sorry, player I've ever seen. Exactly. So if you've got, even if you've got Liam Gill and Michael Hooper starting, to have George Smith on the bench would be an incredible asset. And you don't, this isn't a, you know, the line series isn't one where you um, try out rookies or, you, you know, give no, them experiments. Exactly. No. It's, it's not, it's not an experience gaining series. This is, you've got to do everything you can to win every test. I think you're absolutely right. So they need to move heaven and earth to get George in the side. And you're right. Like when uh, David Pocock was asked about uh, George Smith coming back, back when it all broke, mm. He was absolutely like a kid in a candy shop. He yeah. couldn't wait to play with George Smith, and who wouldn't? When he left in 2009, I don't remember that test yeah. where 
Smith played, no, Pocock played the first half and one of the best number seven games you've ever seen. He yeah. broke his thumb, so George came on, played the second half. And what, you know, mm. equally the best number seven <laughs> game you've ever seen. So those two were, Pocock was probably just creeping ahead um, at that period, but George will tell you that he, he was starting to lose a little bit of enthusiasm um, at that point. Like he'd, yeah. he'd played a lot of footy in Australia and, you know, year in, year out doing the same thing. What I do know that he's, he, he, the couple of years he's been away has really refreshed him. And he's, you know, he's found his love for rugby again. He's actually fitter now mm. than when he was yeah, when he, looks he left. Yeah. He's, he's leaner. Um, the Japanese comp is actually a lot faster than people give it credit for. So he's been running well, the like a racehorse. Yeah. The training is probably more of it, 60% yeah. of it, rather than the playing. So, and, and as you saw in that first game against the Warriors, yeah. he's, I don't think he's lost a thing. He's 32. <laughs> Yeah, as Eddie points out, we think Richie so. McCaw's thirty-one, yeah. and he's still playing the house down. Yeah. So, mate, I agree absolutely that you know they they have to really just be sensible about it. Don't hide behind, oh well, it's our policy, the AAU policy, and what will that do? It's a slippery slope. This, that, and the other. Look, beating the Lions is a massive priority, not just for you know the pride of the Wallabies, for the sake of the game. You know, you yeah. rugby is struggling for brand recognition at the moment, and and struggling for the attention of even its loyal fans. You know, a successful win, you know, a successful series against the Lions could act as a kickstart for rugby again in this country. And and if George Smith can help do that, they have to do it. Well, I know at Seven, where I work, it's very difficult to get uh, rugby across the board because it's not the main game in town. Yeah. But a George Smith story will. Yeah. Exactly. Every day of the week. Yeah. Uh, and because he's such an icon of the game. And I can't imagine New Zealand carrying on like this. Look, look at the way they treated Sonny Bill Williams. You know, mm. they, they have a pick of so many great players in New Zealand, but they somehow managed to allow Sonny box to box yeah, yeah. and um, have a Blokes bit of his... to take sabbaticals. And, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dan Carter and yeah. Richie McCaw with his uh, super rugby this is a big. This is a big area for the ARU at the mm. moment. I think that the, the, the attitude of Australian rugby has to change on this. There's a couple of guys like Cliffy... Um, and Beric Barnes, who are basically going to them now with cap in hand, saying, "Look, I've been offered well, a good contract. Up, yeah. yeah, I've been I've been offered a good contract in Japan. I'd like to go away and do it, but I'd also like to come back and play yeah. um, at the World Cup. So essentially, it would mean they would have to miss a Super Rugby season, but then they'd like to come back and get back involved in Australian yeah. rugby. Now, the old school way of thinking is, oh well, if you leave." You know, you can't come back in and play. You know, you're mm. setting the wrong message. Got to get over that. Exactly. I think it's a bit immature, actually. Yeah, I agree. We need to be big enough to allow these players to experience life. And, yeah. you know, they've given a lot to this game. Yeah. Uh, to bust your gut and train and play for your country and your state and your club. They, I think we owe them more than they owe the other way around. They need to be mentally refreshed as well. Yeah. These guys play a, a, almost an 11-month season now. You know, they have Correct, four, yes. four weeks off and mm. then they're back into pre-season training. Some mm. of them are, are just, you know, they're on a treadmill. So guys like Cliffy asking you that, you can either let him go for a little bit or lose him for good, you know. Mm. Like, and they have to ask themselves, uh, Australian rugby in is such a strong position in terms of kids coming through in depth that they're willing to let superstars go for good on a point of principle. Yeah, totally agree. So we looked at the uh, Six Nations of the weekend, and I know we've both been chatting to UK radio mm. over the last couple of days, and they're all pretty whipped up uh, yeah. with that uh, Six Nations final. I've got to say, mm. though, what an epic 
finish and uh, I would have loved to have been there at uh, mm-hmm. Millennium Stadium for that it's just a wonderful place to be if you've never been there but for Wales to win it the way they did a couple of great tries in the second half as well uh, and they thoroughly deserved it but what a way to um, finish the comp considering the start mm-hmm. you know Wales were hopeless against uh, Ireland in the first game mm-hmm. and their confidence was shot the comp was all over the place and then it finished with a bang is it too, going too far to say that it was a triumph of good over evil? <laughs> Wales beating England. Sorry, England. Sorry, oh, England. Don't mention the cricket. Don't mention it. Um, no, as I said before, I had a chat to Gareth Delve yesterday, sort of get his thoughts on, mm. on Wales's win, and he said it was um, it's amazing what confidence can do to a team. Um, the Welsh are a quality team. There's no doubt about it. They've got some really quality players all across the park. Um, but they were in a bit of a they were in a bit of a funk after losing yeah. eight games in a row. You know? But as as um, Alan Gaffney said on this show, they were incredibly unlucky. Of course, yeah. And and I covered all of those tests, and I thought Australia honestly thought Australia would lose every one of them. <laughs> you know, like they they were in a winning position, and it was probably just you know inexperience. I suppose mm. they're still a young team. You got to remember we were talking at the World Cup about how they were the young were they the youngest mm. team of the World Cup. So they're pretty damn young, yeah. Um, I think they probably the Six Nations win last year might have put a bit too much air in their tyres, and, and the Wallabies just got a, you know got the job done clinically. Um, but it was always going to come. You would you would have assumed that they would get back to that sort of settled form, and and they, it took a bit of heartache for them. But look, they beat France away, and then got wins over um, Scotland and Ireland, and and probably England turned up expecting the bad Wales. Um, to play rather than the team that they they had encountered you know a year earlier or so well that means uh, that uh, Wales you'd expect to have a pretty good uh, accounting in the side mm. when they named the squad to come down under now I think uh, given England's prior form they disposed of the uh, Kiwis don't mm. forget in the mm. autumn series and uh, I think they showed some great strength in this the early part of this series if they can get Brian O'Driscoll too. I think yeah. he's a must still. You, yeah. You've still got to have your experienced players. And the way he played against uh, Wales in that first game of the Six Nations says to me that he's still got it. Yeah. At least for one more series. Yeah. And you need those old heads, don't you? Well, on O'Driscoll, um, we were in Wales last year for the spring tour and did some chats with Gatlin. And he actually raised an interesting point. It didn't get much attention, but asked about captaincy. He said, I might pick a captain who may not necessarily play in the test team each week. Oh, you know, okay. as a leader of yeah. as what a leader of men. Team club captain. And a lot of a lot of us were thinking, well, is he talking about Paul O'Connell or is you know, mm. who's he talking about sort of thing? He said guys had been in the team captain the team in the past who may or not may have not deserved to be mm. in the test team, you know what I mean? So um, that's an interesting one. I, I actually think O'Driscoll's that man, you know. I think he's sort of that rallying figure to be his fourth tour. Um, he's the sort of guy who would either start or potentially be on the bench, but he would he would be a guy who would set the culture of the lines really quickly, yeah. and and um, they all look up to him. No matter where you go around the world, everyone looks up to O'Driscoll. So um, I, I reckon he'll be the skipper. Well, I hope so. And uh, he did say on the um, show a couple of weeks ago that the, that we were happy to um, get through our friends at HSBC that uh, he won't be able to shut up. Even yeah. if he's not captain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's too experienced. And, exactly. and you don't want that to happen, do no, you? No, well, I mean, no, there's no obvious candidate for captain yeah. anyway. So um, yeah. I, I do take your point about England. I think yeah. that um, 
one defeat doesn't mean that, yeah, that we should you, you, throw out, would you, you throw out all their players yeah. either. Yeah. I think what it does, and it's actually probably a dangerous um, prospect for Australia in a way, it's always difficult getting all these guys together and then deciding which way they're going to play. Mm. So, in essence, the coach, whether he likes it or not, picks the core of the most successful team and they sort of play like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so we're thinking Wales or well, England? What, is, what he could potentially do is take the best guys out of England and get them to play a bit more like, like the Wales. And they can do that. If you've got guys like Tuolungi and, mm. and um, even Owen Fowl, I don't think, is out of the equation yet. Yeah. Um, you've got some really good, skillful English backs. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> um, what Wales, Wales victory does is give Gatlin permission to pursue that Welsh. Yes philosophy and pick some of his key blokes that he wants in there. You know, he'll pick either Tipperick or Warburton um, instead of Robshaw and they'll play fast. You know, he's, he's said that before. You can't come down here and play sort of plotting 10-man rugby and hope to bet Australia. You've got to, you've got to play fast rugby, ambitious rugby on, on, the, on the hard decks down here. And, yeah. and, it's and almost impossible to play that doer type of rugby on our decks mm. because you need to run fast. It's just conducive to it. Having said that, you know, Australia's Achilles heel has been um, if people come in, come just bash them basically up front, you know. So that's the that's the um, it, it, Australia will will hope that they come down here and play fast rugby because that's what yes. suits them as an opposition. If you know what I mean, if exactly. if they if they elect to play like New Zealand do it every year, they change the way they play when they play Australia. You know, they come out come off the line hard, bash them, flood the breakdown, slow everything down. And all of a sudden, you've beaten Australia. It's yeah. just happened. It's happened so many times. It's not funny. So, Gatlin's a smart character. He'll he'll probably pick a couple of those big bruises out of the English pack to try and do that. And um, you've got some you know, some of those Irish back rows who've already done the job on us before. So, um, it's going to be a fascinating series. It really is. Well, it will be. And I think the media coverage is going to be one issue. Like there's going to be you know, thousands of journos covering this thing. Mm. And I just wanted to, as a little item to finish on. What are your expectations for the coverage? Because we've seen previous tours. I mean, I was part of the Wallaby Media Management in 01, and it was an extraordinary amount of um, interviews we had to do, and, mm. the, and the pressure we were under. Rod McQueen was a coach. So media management, and uh, I guess the message was very, very important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, we had Graham Henry, who was always giving it to the locals, saying we've been treated badly. After that tour... Uh, there was a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of the people who came down here from the squad. Then you had the New Zealand tour, which mm. was ridiculous. You know, they mm. get the spin doctor from the government to mm. come down, and that was way over to- over the top with Clive Woodward. The indications we've had with uh, Warren Gatlin is that we're not going to see that again. And in fact, they're going to try and reach out mm. to the Australian public. Uh, what are your expectations? I really like Warren Gatlin as a media talent. Like. At his essence, he's a stirrer. Mm. He's a little is bit he working like, us over? Potentially. Yeah. He's a little bit like Eddie, yeah. you know, Eddie Jones or even Jake White. Just doesn't have like a stick that. guy. They know, <laughs> they know how to get what they want out of the media. Yeah. Um, they understand the relationship that the media is not only there to report, it's there to promote as well. Yeah. Um, so these closed shop sort of attitudes, that if you come down and pretend you're in a siege mode, it just doesn't work. You know, you actually create more paranoia for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if you're open and honest and have nothing to hide, then the players will, you know, that, that's, a, that's an indication of their confidence, you know. Um, so in terms of the media battle, I think it'll be interesting. Um, 
I think there's a perception over there that we're sort of some sort of fearsome, you know, baby-eating media that gets into everyone. I think basically, um, you know, in the past there was some there was some entertaining, you know, <laughs> comments like guys like um, Todd Ikefu talking yeah. about the English being. Know, what was a classic line? Who goes to war in red coats? You know, oh, yeah, they're yeah, arrogant. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, but I think essentially a lot of it gets mistaken. You know, it's it's oftentimes a bit of a stir rather than um, a full well, on venomous attack, and that's what you want. Don't that's you? what makes the Ashes series in cricket so good. Exactly, you just give yeah, it to each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. So I think it, um, I think it could have the potential to be a really entertaining series with Warren Gatlin on the other side. Like Robbie's a bit. A bit boring, but um, <laughs> with Gatlin there staring it up, and you saw that comment about, yeah, the English. Like, you can't say he stumbled into that and said it in error. And yeah. Yeah, there's something going on there. He was, he was attempting to stir up the English to get them to play well or something. I don't know quite what's going on, but well, he's the master tactician, Gatlin, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be a different approach, and we're really looking forward to it. We'll be covering it all here. Uh, it's going to be pretty busy for you, mate. It will be. It's. Um, it's a busy month, June. Just on your point about the sort of the cut through, I think it'll be a big test for rugby. Right, state of origin right. starts in in that month, and it'll be full full on um, in well, the AFL season. Well, they just can't rely on. I mean, obviously, it's just on a platter, and it's going to get coverage automatically. Yep. but they should really. Um, well, this is this is a this is a, a an event that should be back page news. Yeah. It should be lead item sport. You know, it should be um, it should be all of those things, and and. Um, you know, if media managers and those sort of people are listening, they should, they should, <laughs> they should uh, react well, accordingly. You do get quoted, mate. Be careful. Well, you don't get quoted as much anymore, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we did get a run in the telly a week ago, but uh, yeah. the, the, our, our the Herald, Herald, Herald's dried right yeah, the up. the Big Bear's just dropped big off. Big shout out to the Big Bear, who's still going nuts there at ESPN. Well, they're uh, a rival website, aren't they now? I know, uh, not rivals. We're all friends together, mate. Right. Okay. Yeah, you can't. You can't stick on one side. You got a big loving on the digital. Yeah, the digital yeah, it should space. Be. yeah. If you try and go it alone and shut everyone out, that's suicide on the web. <laughs> be sure that's the case. Um, well, mate, uh, I've got to plug these as well. Mark Cashman busy putting these. I think he puts these together by hand. It takes mm. him that long to do it. Easy for our. Uh, question about him. Well, what do you reckon? The um, code hopper with the Waratah has been a bit quiet last couple mm. of games. I'm a fan. I'm definitely yeah. a fan. The stuff I saw of him in the trials. Um, Why has he kicked on a, from the trials? He's playing fullback. It's not his spot. No. He's got to get. He's got. To, they've got to play him on the wing, where he's got a, a bit less responsibility and positional, you know, structural responsibility. Um, get him injecting himself in the game, like guys that you worked with, Wendell and Lottie. They were superb talents. You know, trucking it up off the five eight and, you know, coming in. Off their wing on on other phases. Get the ball in his hand as much as exactly. possible, because you and never know what he's going to do with it. The stuff you saw of him in the trials, particularly the Crusaders game, mm. he was beating Crusaders defenders, seasoned Crusaders defenders, like they weren't there, mm. and that showed me that he has the talent to play Test footy. Now, he's got to sh start showing it, obviously, in the next couple of weeks to to be a candidate. But um, yeah, he's he's a very big talent, and I suspect that you know. He may he may move back to league eventually, so rugby really needs to take advantage take advantage of him while he's here. Yeah, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Yeah. Actually, rumours there's a deal already done <laughs> yeah. um, that he's heading back to a, another club. Uh, but a uh, question on those recruits as well. Uh, John O'Neill said before he left that, that he closed the door. There was no yeah. no more rugby league recruits. But surely you can't be that uh, definitive. 
No, and I think you know the easy deal was was um, done after John left. Yeah. So um, it's just a matter of how much you prioritise your spending. I suppose that O'Neill always thought he was better off spending his money on the blokes who who, who um, you know junior rugby development, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's no doubt that not the first time around though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's no doubt that a guy like Izzy. Um, brings people through the gates or should bring people through the gates. He's not at the moment, but um, and he's an exciting talent. Um, I mean, I'll leave you with, with one thought. I've often thought they, they always buy hookers and, uh, pardon me, uh, wingers. <laughs> <laughs> they always buy wingers and fullbacks. But yeah. look, I'd love to see a couple of league forwards. Yeah, like um, what? And turn, like them who? In, turn them into back rows. Uh, like, you, it, take your pick. They're all, they're all th- those league front rows and second rows, credibly fit units. How good was Sam Burgess, but... Exactly, except that he's English. Yeah, I know. Um, but, uh, but you talk about we want aggression at the contact line and, and be able to physically dominate other packs. These athletes are in Australia. Mm. They're just not playing rugby. You know, It would be really interesting experiment, if you like, to pick a couple of these young, fit, you know, aggressive league forwards and see, if, see how they go playing um, blindside flanker and whether they'd make an impact. Well, this is the same issue that America has. I mean, uh, the massive money and basketball, NFL, mm. uh, and everything else uh, means that uh, they don't get the best athletes mm. playing rugby. You know? mm. So, uh, you know, the players that do give their time for rugby are really um, giving up a lot, potentially, mm. uh, for the love of the game. So it's actually quite nice to see these players playing for American rugby. But, yep. you know, as a bit of an example, on a, on a different scale, but that's a bit like we've got to put up with here. Yeah, there's... A, there's Jake, I spoke to Jake White about it the other day and he was talking about the, the difference between Australia and New Zealand and South Africa is that in Australia we divide our rugby talent down the middle. You know, mm. you've got, it's not even down the middle, it's no. probably quarter, three quarter. Exactly. So there are incredible athletes playing rugby league um, and it'd be interesting to see if any coaches sort of thought along that lines and we want some aggression at the contact line. We're, we're struggling for for six eights, like the Waratahs at the, are at the moment, hmm. why not a, a handy back row from a league background who's maybe not getting a run at his NRL team? Yeah, I think the back rowers, you're right, spot on. They're the ones that we should be targeting if we get them across. So, hmm. And you can travel the world. So sign up today. All right, Ian Payton, thank you for coming in. <laughs> See you, mate. Four years down the track and we yeah. finally got him. Is it going to be another four years? Oh, no, no, no. We'll, no. we'll get back. It well, depends. We'll see what people have to say. <laughs> <laughs> See what Warren Gatlin thinks. Yeah. Uh, there he is, Ian Payton from the Daily Telegraph. Don't forget to check them out at um, Rugby Gold uh, online at thedailytelegraph.com.au for your latest on Australian and world rugby. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, mate. That is it for the show this week. We'll catch you next week and we'll have a few more guests. And uh, don't forget to check out strike.com.au to get your hands-free mobile kit for your car. Until then, have a good week. Mm-hmm.